without a doubt, we are in a global health crisis. I think you would all agree. Well, what's the answer? I would argue global immunity. What does that mean? Well, you're going to see, I'm interviewing Dr. Zach Bush in this episode, and we hammer out the two biggest problems and solutions. Wait till you hear what Zach has going on and what you're going to absolutely uh, be loving being a part of, uh, because it is a huge game changer and a unique answer to this massive problem. Check out this episode. I want to give thanks to one of our sponsors, Cyto Defend. Look, at a time like this, I think that our immune system and keeping our immune system up right now is more important than ever. I can also tell you that I pay attention to the things that keep my immune system on par and healthy. So, so glad that Cyto Defend is one of our sponsors here on Cell TV, and it's a product that I use, my family uses, and hopefully you'll check it out. And by the way, you can check it out with the link right here below. If you wanna try a free bottle, you can actually get a free bottle, just pay the shipping. And I think you'll reorder after that, but check it out. If you're listening to this podcast and want to access the amazing CytoDefend product Dr. Pompa just mentioned, please visit freeimmunity.com. Again, that's freeimmunity.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cellular Healing TV. I'm Ashley Smith, and today we welcome the wonderful Dr. Zach Bush, who is an internationally recognized educator and thought leader on the microbiome as it relates to health, disease, and food systems. This is going to be an enlightening conversation about how a global health crisis requires global immunity. I cannot wait to hear where this goes. So let's get started and welcome Dr. Zach and of course, Dr. Pompa to the show. Welcome both of you. Thanks for having us. I so appreciate it. It's wonderful to be on with you and the audience. It's going to take a global community to realize a global solution. <laughs> you know, it's funny. We, we always try to do timeless shows, uh, you know, on cellular healing TV because we have so many people who download the recordings, you know, um, later on. I, I think this is, we, we're in a global crisis right now. And uh, actually we've been, I, I think that, you yes. know, with, with COVID, the, the rioting that's going on as the time we record this show, um, of course, the global crisis has risen to a new level, right? And you have such a unique perspective on this, but, you know, we also have a global you know, epidemic going on in our bodies right now. And Zach, you bring this together better than anybody. You know, so, you know, global immunity, I think we need to create. And my goodness, uh, this show could not be more important right now because of the, the crisis, the epidemics that we're facing, the pandemics that we're facing. You know, this is an important show. Thank you for being here because your message is really relevant right now, Zach. Thank you so much for having me on. It's yeah. an exciting time to take a step back and I think, you know, reframe the conversation after, you know, many months of looking at the health and socioeconomic, you know, collapse that's happening around a pandemic. And we have to understand that it's revealing symptomatically a much deeper problem that preexisted uh, the current awareness. And that, that is a, a crisis of chronic disease epidemics. And yeah. that's been brewing for decades now. And despite so many people from, you know, WHO to the, to, you know, Harvard to 
our little tiny laboratory, everybody is screaming, this is, this is the end of a species if we don't change this. It's not a, a pandemic, it's epidemic chronic disease that's gonna end our species. And so when we start to like fr reframe this again, we need to, to remember that at least 66%, uh, and it's probably more like 76% in most years, of death in, in, around the world is not from a, an infectious disease, it's around chronic disease. Worldwide, the biggest chronic disease in the world is, is uh, kidney disease, uh, chronic kidney disease and end-stage renal failure. And not surprisingly that, you know, if you look at the pandemic death toll, it hit the chronic kidney disease population, at, you know, harder than anyone else really. And so number one chronic disease creates a vulnerability for a, a short-term, you know, acute event, which is simply one of the milieu of things that will take the lives of people with end-stage renal disease, end-stage cardiovascular disease, all these different conditions that have become, you know, at least mm -hmm. at any given time, 70% of mortality around the world. And so we need to really keep in mind that when we see, you know, trillions of dollars being pumped into a problem like a pandemic, we better keep in mind that that's less than, you know, 6% of, of the current issue. The 94% is, is not there. I, you know, I think, you know, this show, I mean, I, I'm, I want to avoid, I always want to avoid being political, right? Because um, I always recognize half of my audience believes this, half the other, but so why even bother with that, right? It's like, yeah, yeah, sometimes it's a little difficult, but, you know, there's so many political pressures around this. I get it, right? And there's so many other big agendas, you know, the, we have literally you know, people trying to usher in, a, you know, a new world order and a one government and doing it through health and, you know, global vaccines. I mean, all these damn agendas, you know, but what is the explanation right now for, look, when we look at it just from a logical perspective, just the statistic you said about, you know, kidney, chronic kidney disease, right? Then you have heart disease, then you have cancer, then you have, I mean, come on, we're not shutting down economies because of these conditions and yet these maybe we should because these conditions kill so many people unnecessarily and dang it there's something we can do about it what's the difference here i mean you know why do you think that covid has all of this attention versus all of these chronic conditions and you know you just touched upon uh it, it's social programming uh, really more than anything and so we've you know how many hollywood movies have focused on ebola and pandemics and epidemics and contagion and all this, so Hollywood itself has, has programmed fear into our mentality around yeah. infectious disease. And right. it's extremely antiquated when it comes to the science. We now know that the microbiome, the virome, these are critical to human health. We wouldn't have human genomics without the virome and, and the involvement of the, the bacteria yeah. building who we are today. And so it's a very old antiquated concept of science that we're somehow being attacked by a microbiome or these viruses. It's not the case. It's just old science. And yet it's the, the current paradigm. And there's certainly that social programming that allows the fear button to be pushed. And it's very hard to push the fear button on something like childhood cancer when most of the wealthy people in the country that are making the financial and economic decision making at the policy level all the way to you know, our, our day-to-day -day operations of large corporations, uh, their children are not at risk because their children are grown up and, you know, they, they're, it's maybe their grandkids that are starting to be affected. But it's hard for them to believe that there's mm -hmm. a true epidemic of childhood cancer right now. Mm -hmm. um, cancer is such an, uh, this, you know, the word cancer induces massive fear. 
but the risk of cancer doesn't induce fear I because know. We still to this day believe that it's some small risk when in fact 50% of American males will be diagnosed with cancer before they die. 50%, that's a flip of a coin. And yet we don't, aren't trained to fear that 50% likelihood. But in fact, the likelihood of getting COVID is less than 0.01%, you know? So it's, it's just, uh, it is a psychological, not a scientific rouleau that we're dealing with. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, look, we have struggled to get people to change their diet, which basic diet changes, Zach, what do you think the percentages of avoiding most of chronic disease, whether it's heart disease, cancer, and some of these, I mean, a huge number, right? I mean, just changing your diet sure. and avoidance, right? Cardiovascular yeah. disease, you're at 98.5%, right. you know, cancer, right. you're somewhere around 96%, you Big know, the numbers are obscene, they're ridiculous. But yet they've got people to wear masks, Okay, which you and I did a show. We did a Facebook Live, which got you know millions of views about the dangers of masks and the fact that the experts themselves really know they don't work. But yet we, because of fear, managed to get people to wear a mask, but we can't get them to change their diet to prevent the true number one killers. I mean, when you look at the numbers of people who are going to die from just those conditions we just mentioned, and it's 0.01 of COVID. I don't get it, Zach. I mean, honestly, I, I, I say it with like just, I say it with love in my heart because I know the fact if they just could understand their fear should be here, not here, it's misplaced. How do we get them to understand? Yeah, it's challenging. I think that, you know, it, I think it's our children that have to teach us the path now uh, because we now have, you know, 52% of American children with a chronic condition by recent Medicaid screening uh, test. Uh, and so it, it would suggest that every single household is either influenced or one degree of separation from a child with a chronic disorder. And that can be mild disorders like eczema, asthma, and food allergy, or it can be childhood cancer, autism, attention deficit hyperactivity disorders, major depression, uh, precocious puberty, major depression, anxiety disorders, suicide, these are all rampant under the age of 15 now. And so uh, when you start to look at that, I think that's the, my only hope is that if, if we're gonna build cities to house our sick children as we have, if you go and look at Children's Hospital in Houston, it, it is you know a, a dozen massive skyscrapers down there that are built to house children with cancer and, and chronic disease. If we're building cities that run, run multi-billion dollar economies out of those sick children, that is the only entry point that I can imagine that can touch the heartstrings enough to say we are completely going about this the wrong way. I've given up more or less on the concept of a healthy dinner plate and have to go to a healthy kid. Nobody thinks they can make sense of all of the information out there online about what is actually healthy nutrition. Is it paleo? Sure. Is it keto? Is it this? Is that? Sure. And, you know, with the advantage of being a microbiome guy is I've been invited to speak at all of those different conferences. So one week I'm at grass-fed exchange for the yeah. beef producers. And then next week I'm at a vegan conference. And the next week I'm at, you know, paleo universe. And it's like, in the end, I just keep trying to preach the message. There's only two types of food, real food and chemically driven, you know, processed and artificial food. And it, until we get everybody organized to that reality, we're going to keep failing because we have a multi-billion dollar consumer industry that's pushing, you know, advertising and behavioral modification and behavior programming on our children 
And we have this fractured, you know, real health, real nutrition message, which they're all bickering back and forth and infighting on. And so I think wow. for us to get forward, why, why did COVID, you know, win the game as far as PR? It's because there weren't a bunch of factions. There weren't a lot of people saying, oh, it's actually the fungi that are bad for you. It's actually the bacteria are bad for you. It's actually the viruses that are bad for you. <laughs> it's this one that, you know, by the way, I'm in agreement on you with the diet, right? It's like if we just, it's that, that is the, the the glaring message right just stop this processed food right eat real food you know and i'm a believer i i lectured all those things too right low carb usa they don't want me back because i'm like well this isn't the only diet right <laughs> you know yeah. i believe the variation is really the magic right you know our yeah. dna is set up to be times of feast times of famine teams of times of low carb times of high healthy carb you know so some people don't like that message. So like you, I don't camp in any of those things. And like you, my gosh, if we just got people to take the processed food out of their diet, you know, now you're dealing with a healthy child as, a, you know, as opposed to trying to change the plate, to your point. I love it, right? But, you know, okay, so we're, we're looking at two ecosystems here where there's a problem, right? You know, it's like this ecosystem and then out there, right? And, and again, remaining unpolitical, you know, we, we have two different problems, right? Today, getting good, healthy food is a problem <laughs> because of the ecosystem out here that they're spraying a zillion chemicals on and destroying. Uh, and then that makes it harder for, you know, this ecosystem to function with true immunity because you and I agree that it, it's not running from viruses and bacteria. As a matter of fact, that's detrimental to our immune system. That's why when I see people with masks on, it breaks my heart. I want to run up to him and just give him a lecture. You know, it's impossible, but you know, we don't run from these things. We embrace them. And um, that's a message that's just not popular right now. But the, po the point is, is that you know, we, we really need to change these ecosystems. And that's been a part of your passion. So start there. Yeah, I think, you know, as we start to look across the uh, ecosystem of health to agriculture, food is obviously the, the, the primary intersection there, but it really boils down to air, water, and soil. So all yeah. three of those ecosystems have been destroyed and are very responsible for the perfect storm that created COVID. And so in a nutshell, this is, you know, like a seven-hour conversation down to, to 17 seconds, I hope, but if you put Roundup and glyphosate and chemical herbicides into an environment in protein production around pork and, and chickens and, and all of that, and then spraying the, the food directly, you create a huge microbiome stress. You are literally causing extinction events within the microbiome. The response is genomic adaptation, which is expressed through viruses. And so the viruses are being sent out by every species saying, we have to adapt quickly because we have a toxic environment that's threatening life on Earth. And so the virome expands. Okay, so, to so deal that, with just, wait, I want people to understand that point. What you just said will gloss people over, okay? But so what you're saying is viruses carry protein messengers, messages, uh, to, where species, bacteria, you know, can communicate with one another. Okay, yeah. all right. So everyone understand that viruses aren't your enemy, according to Zach, what he's saying. Viruses are actually really important for the communication within our ecosystem and our body and in nature. Okay, so that's your major premise where you're coming from. It's not the enemy, it's, it actually helps. You know, and, and it's very important in that message to realize that viruses are not alive. We miscategorize viruses as microbiome. They're yeah. not microbiome. Microbiome is living entities. It's defined, the word biome says it is, okay. has to be living organisms. 
viruses are not living organisms. They are, are dead particles of genomic information that traffic through, through air and, and other systems. And so the viruses are not microbiome. The microbiome communicates via the viruses for genomic adaptation. And all of the species diversity that we see on the planet is the result of intelligent design from you know, trial and error, if you will, through the viruses. And so every species on Earth is constantly sending out adaptation signals. Those adaptation genes are constantly reorganizing every species to find niches and opportunities for life to emerge in more and more biodiverse sectors, more and more biodiverse you know, ecologies and environments. And so the virome is helping build life. 50% of the human genome was built by viruses. 10% of the human genome was built by retroviruses like HIV. We have vilified the very things that built us. If we keep vilifying that, we will destroy ourselves because like we see in Japan and China and South, South Korea, Italy, even parts of New York right now, they're spraying insecticides and herbicides into the air as if we're gonna kill this thing that's out there somewhere. Oh my God. It's literally being made by humans. It, humans are generating the virus. And so it's not coming from out there. It's coming from within us because we need genomic adaptation and, and movement. We are so backwards on this, thinking that we're trying to kill something alive. It's not living tissue. You're not trying to sterilize viruses. We would kill the planet instantly the moment we sterilize viruses because the viruses are critical in genomic adaptation and, and communication. And it's not just viruses. Viruses are very long RNA strands or DNA strands that code for a whole protein. Smaller than the viruses are the microRNA that don't code for a protein, but instead are the signaling system for the, the protein manufacturing within our bodies. The microRNA actually govern what a single gene is gonna produce. We now know that a single gene doesn't make a single protein. That's what we thought in the 1990s. We now know that a single gene can make over 2000 different proteins depending on its microRNA and co-repressor, co-activator functions. And so the information from the whole ecology around a single cell in your body is, is conducting and determining what that cell is gonna to produce today. And so if you start to wipe out the genomic information in the air in the form of microRNA and viruses, you're going to kill life on Earth even faster. And we've been doing it systematically. Now, the virome produces this huge genomic adaptation because there's huge herbicide pesticide pressure. The biggest herbicide and pesticide dump site in the world is Hubei province. And so harder spraying there than anywhere else in the world, more toxic pork industry than anywhere else in the world, which is amazing because the United States has an extraordinarily toxic pork and agricultural system, but China has outstripped us in the last 10 years with even more toxicity. And so if you're gonna pick a place where this is gonna happen, it has to be Hubei province. And then Hubei happens to have the perfect carrier for the genomic information globally, which is air pollution. And so PM 2.5 is a tiny carbon particulate in the air. PM 2.5 binds the virus. It binds influenza, it binds you know, COVID, all of these genomic carriers of information bind PM 2.5 in abnormal clumps. The earth before air pollution was very good at distributing viruses very systematically across the surface of the planet. This is long before humans ever existed, long before airplanes. The FDA wants you to think that, or, or the uh, CDC wants you to think that airplanes are carrying this virus from place to place. And this, that's, hmm. I, don't even, I don't even have a word for how stupid that concept is. Well, the the virus moves around the world just as every other virus has always moved. It moves through the air through aerosolized, not respiratory droplets, aerosolized, meaning binding to small particulate in the air, 
before air pollution, it can bind dust, pollen, all kinds of things in this tiny particulate, and it travels around the globe over just a couple of weeks, months time. And so that's the normal. When you put PM 2.5 in the atmosphere, you get abnormal clumping of viruses and you deliver way more genomic information than the, the species should have been exposed to. We've created that situation. The viruses are not attacking us. The viruses are trying to create adaptation, and yet we create an artificial and, and toxic you know, clumping of the virus. Then the virus with COVID binds the, the, the receptor in the lung that's called the ACE2 receptor. The ACE2 receptor binding the virus pulls it into the bloodstream appropriately. That's how we're supposed to, to absorb this genomic information to get the genetic update. This is just like a software update. Our genome needs to evaluate this new information, see if this is an important new protein. COVID-19 happens to have a new RNA strand, slightly different than um, you know, SARS and MERS did in 2002, 2012. And so we got a new opportunity for an update. And we know that every time we get exposed to a new virus, we don't, get, we don't develop immunity for that one thing. We develop a, a homogenous you know, kind of equilibrium with all different types of viruses by exposure to the one. The opposite is seen with influenza vaccine. If we give an influenza vaccine, we increase the likelihood of you having something like COVID-19. And that was proven in a military study that was just done you know, two years 2017, ago. 2017, so, well, yeah, 2017. And so we have this wrong model. We vilified the information. That's ridiculous in and of itself. And then we created an environment where the information gets into the bloodstream abnormally. So we've upregulated the ACE2 receptors in our lungs through pharmacy. It turns out the two drugs you have to put chronic kidney disease, chronic cardiovascular disease, and diabetes patients on is an ACE inhibitor and a statin drug. And when you put those two drugs on any of those populations, they upregulate the ACE2 receptor for a virus that's now clumped around PM2.5. And now you've got this load of virus dumping in that's bound to PM2.5 that carries cyanide. Cyanide is a natural part of air pollution and it causes histotoxic hypoxemia, which is exactly how a patient presents who is dying of COVID. They're not dying of COVID, they're dying of cyanide poisoning or you know, 32 other toxins, heavy metals, et cetera, that are on the backside of that virus that was just trying to give a genetic update, but it's tagged with this Trojan horse of human toxicity. Yeah, so you, know, you have um, people dying at you know, 40 or 45, and rarely nonetheless, but still what you're saying explains why. Right, they're on. Like I said, they have those conditions. Uh, and according to Judy Mikovits, right, it's you know if they've gotten a lot of flu shots since 2015. To your to your point, they've already have some of these uh, coronaviruses from that influenza shot. And by the way, that 2017 military study you mentioned showed a 36 percent increase. You know of, of you know when you get hit with uh, these type of SARS viruses, you get this worse reaction. She calls it a firestorm. So again, this explains that it's not the virus. It is these other things that are happening with these conditions. So you have a 45-year-old that's on um, an ACE, in, uh, ACE inhibitor and, or on a statin and has more of these H2 uh, reactions going on. Boom, it's a firestorm. Yeah, and, and so it's the, the accumulation of toxicity of soil, water, and air systems ah, yeah. that's creating this thing. And so as we start to talk about the solution, which is regenerative agriculture, decoupling the chemical industry from everything that we do, how we allowed chemical industry to take over our, our ecosystems in farming agriculture is, is dumbfounding. It, it's a story of extraordinary complacency among consumers. 
we are so lazy. So, but I mean, ultimately, though, for me, it's not too puzzling because you can patent these things. And if you can patent it, there's, there's billions to be made. So for me, it's like, you know, I, I guess it's, yeah. For you and I who lead with our hearts, it's puzzling perhaps. But when you look at people who are led by the financial income, it's not so puzzling. Well, I think it's, I think it points to also, you know, beyond the money, it, it, it points to a human behavior that can be unified under the word convenience. Because we were all willing to, okay, yeah, I'm sure high fructose corn syrup isn't so good for us, but you know what, the kids have got this birthday party and, you know, we don't want to look like the weird granola people and we'll go ahead and have the shitty ice, ice I'm sorry, the, 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 uh, okay. the, the gross, uh, icing on top of it with all the artificial stuff and everything else but you know we we rationalize toxifying our children literally we rationalize the poisoning sure. of our children through social norms and through yeah. social behavior True. and through convenience and so okay i know well i think it's only been twice that we've eaten at mcdonald's this week and so i'll go ahead and pull into the driveway and when in fact it's probably we do better than most life. we do better than most yeah, exactly. Yeah, we eat healthier than 90% of people that I know. And of course, when you actually survey that, you find out everybody's eating pretty crappy. But, but there's this, this cognitive dissonance between reality and mm -hmm. the reality. And the reality is we are poisoning our children system, systematically through our food, water, and air systems. And as consumers, we are not taking the hard stand against this. And we are not taking the, the fundamental challenges of adapting a different lifestyle for our, our families. Now, this is not to, to, to throw the baby out with the bathwater here. Like there are a lot of families that are making these difficult decisions that are selling their houses in, in New York or LA and moving out to rural Idaho, buying a piece of land, starting to homestead, learning how to grow food. I, you know, hats off to everybody who's making those extraordinary leaps. But what our company and our nonprofit are really working on is now how do we go between, you know, the heroes among us that are out there doing that extreme lifestyle shift and the reality of somebody who's not ready to make those, those leaps? How do we move that whole organization of people forward? And you can do that through a couple of different ways. And we found that the biggest leverage we can push on is actually to change the, the agricultural system itself. And then the person even making poor decisions actually has healthier decisions to, to pull from. And so we have a, you know, a compound that's going into feedlots and, you know, uh, protein industry to reduce the stress and toxicity of those animals, the antibiotic exposure, everything else by improving their gut function, their respiratory function and all of that. And so by, by changing that side of the spectrum, anybody who's out there buying a piece of meat, I'm a plant-based dude, loves teaching vegan diet, but I'm recognizing that if I could make all of the meat less toxic, the transition would, would start faster where we can heal the earth and we can heal the people quicker as we're waiting for the cognitive psychological willingness for those big cataclysmic you know, psychological shifts to happen. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a, it's a big tall order, man. But I think I, you know, what you're saying is, is look, <laughs> we've tried to change the, the behavior of human in the foods. But if we change the food, you know, and if we can change a big part of the food, then we can change the person, right? Without changing the behavior necessarily. <laughs> so that's a big tall order, uh, but a noble one at that, I would say, because that's gonna trickle down um, into generations is the point, right? I mean, if you get one person to eat well, okay, that's, that's one person, but if you can change the soil, 
uh, in the animal and the, the plants, then you've changed epigenetically generations to come. And we're very excited about what we're seeing at the nonprofit, and, and we're you know, in the process of launching a, an impact investment fund, a global big impact investment fund to bring a bunch of capital to, to rebuild the, the infrastructure and uh, tech around the universal adoption of regenerative practices. And what we're seeing with that, that capital investment fund, as well as our nonprofit, is that as soon as you start making those right decisions on changing the food system to improve the consumer, you also radically improve life for the farmer. And it, it happens to be generational again. The biggest problem we have with the stability of small farms in the world, especially in the United States and Western countries, is secession. Uh, the, the younger generations are not there because they went and got you know, degrees in dentistry or whatever, and they're not on the farm anymore. There's nobody to hand that agricultural practice and lifestyle and care for the land to. And so they end up selling to a Bayer or a Monsanto or you know, international landowner conglomerate or to uh, residential sprawl developers. And so our farms, we're losing 6,000, 8,000 farms a year in the United States. And the, the biggest chunk of that is for lack of succession. Uh, the second largest is bankruptcy uh, due to insoluble status because their soil is dead and they can no longer produce and they're producing in an artificial economy that has stacked the cards against them, thousands of things. So we're excited that the solution is the same for both the consumer and the, the production system. And I feel the same way as a physician. My patients want health mm -hmm. and aren't getting it from a Western medical allopathic system. The doctors increasingly want to deliver health and aren't getting the opportunity to do that through an allopathic training. And so we see things like functional medicine, integrative medicine, you know, all of these holistic medicine, naturopathics, you know, all of these rising between the, the pillars to fill in the gaps. We need to accelerate all of that because it benefits the physician who's now has a high calling to heal people and gets to start to do that through understanding nutrition, exercise, fasting, breathing, all of this, the fundamentals of hydration, all of these things. And then on the other side of the equation, you see the, the, the customer, the patient that's now engaged in, in a lifestyle reform that's going to lead to a real regenerative health within their bodies. And instead of palliating their disease process, we heal their disease process through a supportive system. In the same way, the consumer, the mom who's trying to feed these five kids in the inner city, you know, healthy food, we start to change the environment there by bringing inner city, uh, you know, above ground uh, soil systems in like the socks box that we've been working with Eric Cutter in LA. Incredible example of how you can grow tons of tons of food on old uh, parking lots. And, and they're producing sweet potatoes and kale and like we're doing a so, I mean, I, table for, dinner for my, out of a parking lot and so yeah, it's that's so incredible exciting. right so i mean what, what my viewer watching this it's like okay well i want this for my family i mean zach where do i send them i mean how, how do they learn more about what you're saying i mean how can they do that I, you know i'm saying i'm always thinking of my viewer it's like they, they're in agreement with with this but what what action step do we get for right now yeah, so I mean, right now you can go to farmersfootprint.us and get involved there. Uh, we're building the infrastructure around this, around awareness and education. Uh, film is one of our main tools that we're developing a production house uh, to, to uh, flesh out the whole documentary series that we launched, the first segment, 22 minute uh, film on a, a farm in, in Minnesota that's done extraordinary transformation. Um, and so we're supporting awareness and activation and, and uh, education to both consumers and farmers through Farmers Footprint. 
Okay. Farmers Footprint is the first of a project within a much larger nonprofit that uh, we're launching, you know, visibly to the world. It's been around for a year and a half, but it, it becomes visible over the next few months. But FarmersFootprint.us was the first big project. But excitingly, Non-Toxic Neighborhoods is our second project, started by Kim Conti, uh, concerned mother in Irvine, California, who uh, moved in from overseas with her young children and realized that all of their playing fields were being sprayed with Roundup. And she was horrified. She's like, this isn't allowed overseas. Like, why is this happening in my, you know, progressive Irvine, California neighborhood? So you can go to non-toxic neighborhoods. Um, you can, you'll find it through Farmer's Footprint as well. There's links to that, uh, but nontoxicneighborhoods.org. Uh, and that's uh, got a whole toolkit there for your uh, county and city to, to uh, ban Roundup in parks and uh, playing fields for your children. I would love to see Park City, Utah jump on this. Actually, it'd be a great community that uh, would be low-hanging fruit for us. We've gotten uh, over 36 counties that have uh, completely banned Roundup, including San Diego wow. just popped. Uh, Houston is underway. Miami popped already. LA uh, banned it. Uh, Irvine was the first. Uh, we've got a um, number of Midwest. We, uh, uh, Philadelphia and Pittsburgh underway. Um, so cities all over America are transitioning. We have 60 cities teed up for the coming 12 months um, and attracting, you know, a lot more. So if you can, you know, we're raising money actively through Farmers Footprint for that whole project. So uh, farmersfootprint.us will support both the ag side and the city municipal side. We went after that because in our work to understand, like, where is all the Roundup coming from? Why are we poisoning our water system so thoroughly with this? And it's not just water, it's air and rainfall yeah. as well. 75% of the air we breathe contaminated with Roundup. 75% of the rain that falls contaminated with Roundup. And so it's a global problem. And as we went into this, it turns out the third largest crop grown in the United States behind corn and soybean is lawn. And so the grass in your playing fields, parks, and backyard are the third largest crop grown in the United States. And so that's why non-toxic neighborhoods became such an important piece. It's more important than wheat. It's more important than alfalfa and sugarcane and sugar beet and all these other ones we know are a problem. But lawn is the third biggest problem we have. So non-toxic neighborhood became this important thing of, first of all, if you're not a farmer, you can change your environment with this. Second of all, it's going to change the water systems dramatically for LA, New York, and other, other cities. Imagine, imagine the health of children and, you know, adults as well, if we just did that, right? If we just got glyphosate banned, because what we've seen since the, you know, 80s, especially the 90s, and with this massive escalation in the use of Roundup in a massive drop, in health, an escalation of autoimmune conditions, gut conditions, you name it. So imagine, you know, if we could just do that. So check it out, farmersfootprint.us, nontoxicneighborhoods.org. Man, I want Utah cities, uh, you know, where I live. I mean, come on. I mean, so how do, how do I get my, uh, my park city uh, to be yeah, so Non-Toxic has the entire kit there. And so you can reach okay. out to us through Non-Toxic right. Neighborhoods. Our team will, will pick up the, the, the baton for you. Uh, we have a bit of a backlog. So if you don't hear back immediately, give us a couple of weeks and we will get to you. Um, but the uh, exciting thing is we start a relationship with, your, with you or through you to your city council, to your school boards and all that. Oh. And, so, and we, we show them the data. We show them the soil science in their area. It's pretty amazing yeah. when you go and take a soil sample from a park in your city and realize, oh, my gosh, we've got a disaster here. And, and so it's very easy to, to take it. And it's an important piece for your elected officials because they want to show that they're cleaning up the environment. So it's a win-win scenario where you can show elected officials how this is going to be a great piece of their, you know, running again in four years or whatever it is that they want on their 
their you know dossier of 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 things as a win-win scenario that we help show them the pathway importantly on non-toxic neighborhoods you'll see the whole toolkit of alternatives to roundup there are lots of organic products that can be used that at scale and so la county is using alternatives to roundup that are organic and so um this is something you can do in your backyard so if you have roundup sitting in your garage right now please think about you know destroying that and there you can go online and figure out how to destroy roundup it's 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 you don't want to dump that down your sewer oh, system God, no. yeah. because it just ends up in the drinking water for the children downstream so uh so you you know go through a digestive process a fermentation process to destroy the roundup in your garage and then in the process you know replace that with these organic solutions that you'll find there you know, I, I, I want to back up a moment because I, I feel like, you know, we have viewers that are like, yeah, that glyphosate, ra, 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 glyphosate is the active ingredient roundup, folks. But we have a lot of viewers we just reach and they're, they're going like, what's so wrong with roundup or this chemical you're referencing? First, I'll, I'll let you tackle that in, in, a, in a brief uh, thing of why this is causing so many health conditions. Um, but I'll say this, imagine like we have everybody running. We have ki- I see kids with masks on and my heart breaks there because what are we teaching them, number one? You know, and they're running from something that has no harm to them, a child, but yet, to your point, they're playing in playgrounds and schools and they're being exposed to this chemical, which this threat is setting up chronic disease, cancer and everything. It's not our opinion, this is proven, but go ahead. Oh, you're absolutely right. I think, you know, if you look at, you know, the, the threat or the potential of threat here, it's literally, you know, you're going down an avenue of the, the elephant in the room here is not a virus. The elephant in the room is toxins. And so our children are suffering under, you know, carcinogens and the rest. And it, it, Roundup is the gatekeeper as, as far as our lab is concerned. We've been working on it for eight years and so I've seen thousands and thousands of experiments done under the microscope showing the effects of Roundup on gut, on blood-brain barrier, on renal tubules, vascular cells, the whole thing. And, um, and, and what you see over and over again is it d- destroys the fabric of life, which is self-identity, really. Uh, it destroys self-identity through the disruption of tight junctions. It's the Velcro that holds each cell to the next. When you destroy tight junctions, you create isolated lonely cells, which are cancer cells. And so when you isolate a cell, it becomes cancer quite quickly. In fact, we can show that the cells in the gut lining once exposed to Roundup start to look like cancer cells in six minutes. And so you can take what was just moments ago, a healthy looking you know, small intestine cell, and it looks now like a, a fibroblastic cancer cell within minutes of, of exposure. And it's because of its isolation. Isolation always breeds an increase in chaos. And so that's the second law of thermodynamics, most tried and true, you know, law in, in physics, isolate any system, it increases its entropy or chaos. And that definitely happens inside of a cell. And so isolate a cell and you destroy it. But it goes deeper than that as well. Not only are you creating this whole possibility of cancer, you're also exposing the, the, the uh, human system to inflammation. And so now, as you destroy the barrier between the outside world and your bloodstream, your body is constantly in a food fight, it's in a water fight, it's trying to combat everything coming into the body because it's not filtered anymore. You're supposed to have an intelligent barrier gatekeeper type phenomenon with the gut, the skin, every membrane in your body, lungs being a good example. You, you pharmaceuticalize that you, and then you chemicalize it with Roundup and it blows apart the whole protection system. Now your body's in constant overwhelm and self-identity starts to get confused and you drive autoimmune disease. Your immune system starts reacting to 
everything, not just you know there. And it starts thinking your thyroid is the problem. One in four girls in the United States has antibodies to her thyroid based on a study done in 2004. It's, you know, I can't even imagine what it is today. That study oh, hasn't been repeated. But, you know, by 2004, as we had 85% of corn and 95% and of soybean under GMO crop by 2004, by that time, we see one in four girls with, with autoimmune thyroid uh, conditions. So it, it's just to say that it's epidemic is, is yeah. just doesn't even start to scratch the surface. One of the fastest growing cancers right now in all ages is, is a what used to be a very unusual cancer, which is a lung cancer, a specific type of lung cancer. 1.88 million people will die of this lung cancer this year around the world. 1.88 million, nearly 2 million people will die of this single lung cancer this year. More than COVID. <laughs> and COVID will kill, maybe be involved in the death of. Again, I don't think the virus is killing right, anybody. Right. You know, that's a part of the puzzle. But Again, even if we blame COVID, we're up and around you know, 300,000 or something like that, maybe 600,000. But we are at a fraction of just one chronic disease caused by the toxicity of our environment. Wow. And so it's just, you know, if we're going to create literally trillions of dollars of economic, you know, redirect economic loss, 250 million jobs lost, we're doing it for the wrong reason. You know, we're, we're doing it for a, a tiny sector of, of what is the threat to humanity. The real extinction event that we are facing, we can map out human extinction to be somewhere out 70 to 80 years in the future. That's very, that's one human lifespan. So a child born today will, may be the very last, you know, human to live out a normal lifespan. 77, 79 years, depending on what country you live in, is an average lifespan. We could be in the very last generation of humans on the planet if we don't radically change direction. Wow. And yet, knowing that, we didn't change direction. And so I, I don't know your original premise, which is how do we create the knowledge that would create the lifestyle of transformational change? And the answer is, I don't know. Wow. But recent events around the crisis of civil liberties is, is giving me hope. Tens of thousands of African-American men have been killed under you know, completely you know, illegal, abusive circumstances over the last hundred years. I mean, you're in probably in the millions of people at the minority level that just in this country have been either killed or, or tortured under a, a suppressive system. And yet we saw with George Floyd, a spark that we've never seen before. The system responded differently. That gives me hope that as a population, 7.8 billion people are carrying a collective conscious that we've never had. And so you showing up right now is part of the future. You are part of a movement of consciousness on the planet that we should re really hang our hope on because whatever was impossible, whatever failed to create change in the past, isn't failing now. We need to, to go in with that blank slate belief, this new canvas of what are we going to create so that there is not a mass extinction event on this planet. We've wiped out 50% of life on Earth over the last 50 years. How do we present prevent the last 50 going over the next 70. We can do that in the next decade. Amazingly, if we improve soil carbon by 0.4%, 0.4% per year around the globe each year over the next 10 years, we completely reverse our global, global warming climate change footprint. In 10 years, we could fix that. And so it turns out that with regenerative agricultural practices, we don't do 0.4%. You can do 400% improvement in soil active carbon in three years. And so the, 
the opportunity for solution is 10 years away if we do incremental tiny. If we do radical change, we could in the next three years not just see the reversal of climate change and global warming and collapse of ecosystems, we could see the reversal to that a creative, regenerative, co-creative mother nature creating the Garden of Eden on this planet with a deeper microbiome, with a deeper biodiversity of human and other species than we've ever seen in human history over the next couple hundred years. And so we could set into motion the very first generative human culture on the planet if we really do regenerative at its foundation. And as part of that process, I mean, I know you're experimenting with a product that you founded um, ION, aka Restore, for some of my older people. <laughs> um, but you know, you're using that as part of re putting it back into soils, right? Now, again, myself, my kids, my family, we utilize that to keep our tight junctions closed. You know, especially if we're traveling or something. I use the nasal. I use the drink to keep the tight junctions closed. Because to your point. We, even though we eat 100% organic, we're still being exposed to this darn chemical because it is in 75% of the rainfall and therefore you're gonna be exposed. So your product for human has really transformed as part of the answer to how we protect ourselves. But are you experimenting with that in soil uh, as well? Yeah, we started with that same kind of concept, these tiny little carbon mo molecules, and we discovered that we were making a much bigger impact with, with large organics on that sector. And so if we, we draw our human product and animal products out of fossil soil. And so that fossil soil is about 60 million years old. It's kind of like a young coal, it's called lignite. And so we do a, a water extraction process, and then we put it through mineral baths and catalysts to get the oxygen hydrogen binding right so that you get a redox molecule. Once you get a redox molecule, you have a communication network between species. And so that's had a very exciting revolutionary impact on human yeah. health and animal health. We have a pharmaceutical coming out next year for veterinary world. Uh, it's it's uh, been uh, going in large scale clinical trials up in, in Canada. And so we have 12,000 cattle on it right now. And uh, we'll, we're in our last just dosing uh, schedule one. We already proved efficacy and all of that or safety. And so now we're just moving towards, you know, rolling that out. So that's, that's all kind of human animal on the small molecule carbon side. For soils, we're using the, the other half of the equation. So the, the yang to that yin that we're putting into the human system, the yang is what we use for the soils uh, amendments. And these are very large carbon substrates that uh, build colloidal structures around uh, minerals uh, and heavy and light metals and everything else to balance the the micronutrient environment of the soils. And, and so we have that going in very large scale trials in the hemp industry in 120 farms around the country right now. We have uh, uh, vineyards going on it. We have uh, corn, soybean going on it up in, the, in Minnesota. So uh, that is very exciting to see the, the reality that Mother Earth actually planted in her soils 60 million years ago an antidote to the toxins that we would dump in her. There's some Isn't that cool? yeah. grace there. Yeah, no doubt. And I'll have Ashley put a link to the product uh, that I mentioned that we're taking in, in humans, right, to protect no. ourselves. Everybody should be utilizing this product. With the time we have left, which is very short, you know, I think that if we identified uh, the two biggest problems, you know, for everything that we're talking about, the threat of human existence, you know, we, we talked about this problem. The next one is the vaccine issue, right? And uh, without risk of getting the show shut down. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm that serious. You know, you and I would agree that this is a major issue. Now, we're, we're talking about COVID and we hear this comment, right? We're not going to open up completely or this problem's not going to be solved until 
we get a vaccine. Zach, what's the reality of that? <laughs> and I, I think I know your answer, but I want people to hear it from you. Um, and also, you know, what, what is this vaccine agenda doing to this problem that we're addressing? Yeah, um, so uh, a vaccine has never been created for an RNA uh, virus like COVID. Uh, they don't work over and over again, and they increase mortality every time we try to do it. Uh, the early experiments done on, on the leading two you know, vaccines that were attempted already returned early data to show that we were increasing mortality um, and uh, having severe reactions. And unfortunately, we, we were creating what is called super antigens, uh, where the vaccine itself creates a hyperreactivity. So if the individual is ever exposed to COVID or a similar virus, they can actually have an extreme version of reactivity and you know cytokine storm and rapid death from it. And so all of that happened just like it's happened with every other RNA vaccine that we've ever created. So um, you know our track record is dismal. That said, I'm not even an anti-vax guy. If you would, um, I would appreciate your protection for me. If you would go to my website, at the very top banner of my website is a petition for you to sign through change.org for healthy childhood immunity and vaccination. And what our point is, you can read the whole intro that I wrote for that, that petition, but our point is we need to rethink human health in the context of the last 20 years of science that says we are built by the microbiome. Our health is intrinsically you know, empowered by and reliant upon the health of the microbiome and its biodiversity within us. That needs to be the next model for child health and immunity and our concept of vaccination. If we're gonna have a vaccination you know, mentality or model, then we have to understand it in the context of microbiome is for us, not against us. And so if you could sign that petition, we already have 10,000 signatures on that. If you can push us to 50,000, 100,000 signatures on that, we're gonna have, you know, what we need to bring to uh, governments around the world. And right now I'm working with the International Tribunal for National, Natural Justice um, and, and uh, launching a science arm uh, that we're hoping to build an international science board of international scientists working for by volunteer um, to process data for public health and safety in all categories, chronic disease, acute, respiratory, uh, et cetera. And so um, these are the big systems that I believe we need to put in place is we need independent science voice to return. The WHO was bought, the, the CDC yeah, is too entrenched in special interests around mm -hmm. the allopathic model. And so governments are desperate for an independent scientific voice. So I'm trying to help you know, foster that and create that uh, and very excited about the people that are being brought towards that. Very excited about the, 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 the leaders around the world that are being, you know, led towards this project. Um, you know, I think that, that people like the King of Morocco are going to have a huge influence on, on this. The, the King of Morocco is a PhD, you know, multiple degrees from London and elsewhere, brilliantly educated man. And he, he sits really at the crossroads of Middle East Mediterranean and African unions. And so he, as an individual leader, as he adopts a much more holistic, cutting-edge science approach, could change all of those sectors of the world. And so my hope is not in the United States. We are, we are going to be the last to change because we have the biggest economic you know, loss to experience, or we have the biggest economic shift and reorganization before we can join something like that. But I have great hope and confidence that our indigenous and and uh, native leaders around the world are gonna be able to really change this dialogue radically. 
because they are much more thinking on the cutting edge of what does public health look like now that we know the microbiome is real? What does public health look like when we are non-pharmaceutical in our model and start to believe in an, in an indigenous uh, health system within our bodies? Indigenous to us is a microbiome. Indigenous to us and intrinsic within us is an ecosystem of health that can be that is not reliant on anybody, you know, pharmaceutical, supplement, anything. And ultimately we need to, to refocus our whole scientific venture there. I agree. And Ashley, we'll put up a link for that. Uh, let's, let's sign that because that that's great. And, and I also agree with you, you know, I'm for health freedom, you know, educate yourself. I want to keep our freedom to uh, vaccinate, not vaccinate, whatever you think is right for your family. That's where my stance is as well. Uh, I'll be interviewing Bobby Kennedy. Uh, here coming up, um, and that's his stance as well. Health, freedom, and to your point, educate, man. And that's uh, you're right. Uh, healthy microbiome is the answer, Zach. Man, some big issues here. Imagine if we just change that in this glyphosate problem. Um, you know, come on, man. We don't even have to teach people how to eat anymore because that's not working. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like that's not working. That's a fail. All right, I agree with you on these topics. So yeah, thank you, Zach. That was wonderful. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, Thanks for the audience. Absolutely. Audio. Yeah, and check out those links. We'll provide them all for you. So thank you. Hey, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors, Cyto Detox. Look, podcasts cost money. There's a lot of production uh, going around this, but uh, we are grateful to have Cytodetox as one of the sponsors. It's so easy for me to talk about the product because myself and my family use it constantly as we practice what I preach. For over 15 years, I've talked about and taught doctors and the public about cellular detox. And I'll tell you, Cyto was a breakthrough. Cyto was a breakthrough for us. Um, and it's changed so many lives, so we're grateful that they sponsor Cellular Healing TV. It makes sense, doesn't it? They should. If you're listening to this podcast and want to access the amazing Cyto Detox product Dr. Pompa just mentioned, please visit detoxoffer.com. Again, that's detoxoffer.com. Well, that's it for this week. The materials and content within this podcast are intended as general information only and are not to be considered a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you would like to purchase some of the supplements mentioned on this show, please visit the site as seen on chtv.com and use the code chtv15 for 15% off. Again, that's as seen on chtv.com. Use the code chtv15 for 15% off. And as always, thanks for listening.